Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. Today we're lucky enough to have Pastor Aaron Dowd share with us. Enjoy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give me a wave. Hallelujah. Welcome everybody. And a good. We want to just give thanks in this moment for Callum Leesk. This week we've been praying for him uh, for many weeks and we're seeing a report that his oxygen levels are a little bit higher and his weight is on. So praise God for continued healing. We, we're believing for more and more healing for, for him. We're lifting up Stan, um, Dave and Helen's son, taken in the hospital last night. And um, I'm sure there are many others with health needs and finance needs. And Lord, we just pray together as a church for the needs that we represent here and have here, those that we have ourselves and those we know about. Lord God, you are a healing God. You're a faithful God. You're a good God. We thank you, Lord, that you have overcome the world, oh God. And we just pray blessing and victory into these situations in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And we welcome Aaron up now in Jesus' name. Let's give him a warm welcome. Bless you, Aaron. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I was in Glasgow last night with three friends dressed as a giant sandwich. And I'm glad to report that we got back in one piece. So... Generosity Revolution Week 3. If you have the Bible app, you version on your phone, you can go into menu, touch events, and if you're tracking the location services is on, it will come up the Vine Church. Generosity Revolution Week 3. If not, just type in Dunfermline or Vine Church. You should find us on there as all the notes and announcements, etc. So, on week one, if I could have a timer up, please, and the little mouse to change my slides, that'd be great. Thank you. On week one, we learned that God's desire is to transform us through our whole lives to become more and more like Jesus through an inward process of transformation. And this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit changing and transforming us from the inside out because generosity, as we learned, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, in week two, we learned how generosity is at the very heart of Christianity and how generosity is essential for us to experience the fullness of joy, purpose, and fulfillment in this life. We discovered how generosity is is essential to uh, fulfilling the great commands to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that's all in weeks one and two that you can get on the website. And as we know, 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us of the connection because we're told that love is kind. Love is kind. I heard this quote when I was at the Open Doors Leaders Conference. Persecution is the devil's second best weapon. Materialism is the first. When I heard that, I was shocked. I was like, the devil's got a stronger weapon in persecution. I mean, what can be stronger or worse than persecution when we hear of it? Um, And this came from the persecuted church that knows the power and strength of persecution. I mean, what could be worse than persecution? Because you know, the result of persecution very often drives people closer to God. It drives them closer to prayer. It drives them closer to faith. Everything that is hindering the relationship with God is removed, and very often in isolation, all they have is them and their deep personal relationship with God. That's all they have, and yet materialism causes distraction from that one relationship with God that matters above all else. 
Materialism enslaves the heart, the mind, and the will. If I could get my wee clickers, Tim, could you bring the wee clicker up for me, please? I quite okay. Well, I don't like saying move to the next slide all the time, but uh, let's move to the next slide then. Well, I'll, I'll try this. <laughs> But I don't know if my, my daughter's head can see above the top there. <laughs> so if I'm doing that, I'm, I've not got two rets or something. I'm just um, asking for the slide to be changed. So there we go. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. The seed that falls among the thorns represents those who hear the words, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's in Mark 14, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. And you see, this is why materialism is the devil's first and best weapon, because materialism, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things are thorns. Jesus described them as thorns. And what do thorns do? They choke and make the seed unfruitful. And we've seen that in the lives of many that once walked strong with God. But our life is a, a, is, is a test. And there will be thorns that come to test the genuineness of our faith. And this is the danger of the lure of wealth and the desire or the coveting of other things. And interestingly, it was so important, coveting, that was one of the Ten Commands, as we heard last week, because they choke your faith, making you unfruitful. And that's why persecution is the devil's second best weapon, and materialism is the first. Craig L. Blomberg, he says this in a book called Revolution and Generosity. It's on your notes. How do modern Christians and churches avoid the seductive power of material possessions? How can wealth remain a good for their enjoyment rather than leading them away, further away from God and the priorities of his kingdom? The recurring answer of both testaments is through generous giving to others. He then goes on to say a little later in his book, the more money someone makes, the higher percentage they should give away. That at least is the practice our family has adopted over the past 26 years. And to my astonishment, God has blessed us with the ability to give away approximately 50% of our adjusted gross income in the last four years. And that without abandoning a lifestyle that surely qualifies as enjoying many good gifts that God has richly provided us. Did you know that the world's richest family, Bill and Melinda Gates, have given 95% of their wealth away to the poor, to their foundation? This is the missions of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to ensure more children and young people survive and thrive, to empower the poorest, especially women and girls, to transform their lives, to combine combat infectious diseases that particularly affect the poorest? Are any of these issues close to God's heart, does anybody think? To inspire people to take action to change their world. 
<laughs> Isn't that four powerful missions of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? And they have a massive heart for the poorest. And their vision came while on holiday. Because very often you're, you're most creative when you're at rest. And that's why you need to rest. And that's why God created the Sabbath. And why we must have rhythm of rest and work in our lives. Because your most creative ideas come during your times of rest. And it was as they walked hand in hand along their favorite beach that the idea to use their wealth for the poorest in the world start to be born and start to be discussed. Now Warren Buffet, who the cannibals can't wait to get their hands on because they can't wait to have a rich buffet. Sorry, sorry. Um, now his net worth is $83.7 billion. And he himself decided to give not 10%, not 20, not 50, but 80% of his wealth to the Gates Foundation. He was so impressed with it. Bill Gates is now on a mission to persuade millionaires and other rich people to give at least, not 10, not 20, not 30, but at least 50% of their assets to philanthropy. That's his mission. And by 2014, he'd already managed to convince 120 others to sign up to give over 50% of their assets away to philanthropy. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a bit like a generosity revolution to me. In an interview with Bill and Melinda Gates, the interviewer asks Bill to give a pitch why people should give away their money. And listen to what he says. Let's watch this clip. Just show that uh, the first video clip, please, Clara. Uh, we've got time for this short. All right. <laughs> well, Warren was a close friend, and. Uh, he was going to have his wife Susie uh, give it all away. Uh, tragically, she passed away before he did. And he's big on delegation. And uh, he said, uh, you know, if he's got somebody who's doing something well, and a big hand for our wonderful AV team. Come on. Um, something really amazing happened in 2006 when somehow you're only real rival for richest person in America, suddenly turned around and agreed to give 80% of his fortune to your foundation. How on earth did that happen? I guess there's a long version and a short version of that. We've got time for the short version. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Warren was a close friend, and uh, he was going to have his wife Susie uh, give it all away. Uh, tragically, she passed away before he did. And he's big on delegation. And uh, he said, uh, Tweet that. you know, if he's got somebody who's doing something well and, you know, is willing to do it at no charge, uh, maybe that's okay. But we were stunned. You know, we had never totally stunned. Uh, expected it. And it, it has been unbelievable. It's allowed us to increase our ambition in what the foundation can do quite dramatically. I mean, it's ha half the resources we have 
come from Warren's mind-blowing generosity. I mean, I think you've pledged that by the time you're done, um, more than or 95% of your wealth will be given to the foundation. Yes. And, and since this relationship, yeah, it's amazing. And, and recently, uh, you and, and Warren have been going around trying to persuade other billionaires and successful people to pledge to give, what, more than half of their assets um, to, for philanthropy. How is that going? Well, we've got about 120 people uh, who've now taken this giving pledge. The thing that's great is that we get together yearly and talk about, okay, do you hire staff? What do you give to them? We're not trying to homogenize it. I mean, the beauty of philanthropy is this mind-blowing diversity. People give to some things we look and go, wow. Uh, and, but that's great. That's the role of philanthropy is to pick different approaches, you know, including even in one space like education. We, we need more experimentation. But it's been wonderful meeting those people, uh, sharing their journey to philanthropy, how they involve their kids where they're doing it differently. Uh, and it's been way more successful than we expected. Now it looks like it'll just keep growing in size in the, in the years ahead. And there's, I think there's, sorry, go. People telling, having people see that other people are making change with philanthropy, I mean, these are people who have created their own businesses, put their own ingenuity behind incredible ideas. If they put their ideas and their brain behind philanthropy, they can change the world. And they start to see others doing it and saying, wow, I, I want to do that with my own money. To me, that's the piece that's incredible. It seems to me it's, it's, it's actually it's really hard for some people to figure out even what, how to remotely spend that much money on, on something else. I mean, there, there are probably some billionaires in the room and certainly some yeah. successful people. I'm curious, can you uh, make the pitch? What's the pitch? Well, it's the most fulfilling thing we've ever done. And, uh, you know, you can't take it with you. And if it's not good for your kids, you know, then... Let's get together and brainstorm about, you know, what, what can be done. Uh, the world is a far better place because of the philanthropists of the past. And the U.S. tradition here, which is the strongest, is the envy of the world. And part of the reason I'm so optimistic is because I do think philanthropy is, is going to grow and take some of these things government's just not good at working on and discovering and, and, and shine some light in the right direction. The world's got this terrible inequality, growing inequality problem that seems structural. It does seem to me that if, if more of your peers took the approach that uh, you two have made, it would make a, a dent in both in that problem and certainly in the perception of that problem. Is that a fair comment? Oh yeah, yeah, if you take from the most wealthy and you give to the least wealthy, it, it's good. It <laughs> <laughs> tries to balance that and that's that's just. But you change systems. I mean, in the U.S., we're trying to change the education system so it's just for everybody and it works for all students. I mean, that, to me, really changes the inequality yeah. balance. That's the most important. Okay, thank you. Well, um, I really think that... That's a, a wonderful interview, and the link for that's on the Bible app event, and you can watch the whole thing, and uh, Melinda talks about her Catholic upbringing and how uh, the seeds of generosity were sown in her upbringing and the influence of her Catholic education. Absolutely beautiful. Now, they were asked to give a pitch. Why should people be generous? Did you catch what Bill said? Why should people give away money? He said, it's the most fulfilling thing we have ever done. Wow. You think what he's done. He's done quite a lot of impressive things. In, 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 with his skills and his business, etc., He's done a lot of very powerful things, and yet giving it away was the most fulfilling thing he has ever done. He says you can't take it with you. 
It sounds like the words of someone else. Now, this is what Chuck Swindle says. Kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and that blind people can see. Kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and that blind people can see. In Luke chapter 12, after saying that life does not consist in the abundance of its possessions, Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the rich fool. And it tells a story of a rich man who had bumper crops. And he did not enough have enough room to store all of his crops. So what did he do? He tore down his barns and he built larger ones. Picking up in verse 18 to 21 of Luke 12. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have made You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So Jesus ends this very strong parable with the words, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, the rich fool never thought to use his bumper crop for generosity or the benefit of others. The thought of Bill and Gates to give away 95% never came across this guy's mind. He used his excess, not for others, to bless others, but he used it for ease and pleasure to relax, to eat, to drink, and be merry. And God had a name for him. In typical biblical fashion, straight to the point, fool, when you use your excess for ease and pleasure rather than for generosity and blessing others, you are laying up treasure for yourself and not being rich toward God. And Jesus describes laying up treasure on earth as not being rich. I think that's your first blank in your sheets, anyone filling that in. Not being rich toward God. Your goal is to become rich towards God. And to be rich toward God, you have to lay up treasure in heaven. And to love God with all your heart means, as we taught last week, to love God with all your treasure. You can't separate the two. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus taught us. So if your treasure is not in God or invested in heaven, then it's not possible to truly love God with all of your heart. And you have to go back to the message from last week to get into that um, in more detail. But what does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? This is what 1 Timothy 6, 18 to 19 says. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, the rich fool didn't do any of these things, did he? The rich fool wasn't good or rich in good works. He wasn't generous, and he wasn't ready to share, and that's why he was described as a fool. Instead, he ate, drank, and was merry, and took life easy. And these verses teach that four things on your sheets. Number one, doing good. Number two, being rich. Number uh, being rich in good works. Number three, being generous. And number four, ready to share are the way to store up 
he says, the, the, the verse he said, thus storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. These four things are how you store up for yourself treasure in heaven. This is how you get your heart on God because your heart follows your treasure and your treasure should follow your heart. So this is how you love God with all your heart and how you fulfill the greatest command to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How? By doing good, by being rich in good works, by being generous and being ready to share. And the conclusion we come to once again is that generosity, as we argued last week, is essential to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The parable of the Good Samaritan that we looked at last week showed us that. Because how you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure really does matter as a Christian, and it should be significant priority in your life. Now, the question is not what or how much we have, rather, what are we doing with what we have? What are we doing with what we have? Are we holding on tightly to the stuff God has entrusted to us as stewards? Remember, the idea of stewardship was that God is in control of what owns all things. He's entrusted us and give everything that we have belongs to God. He's entrusted us with it to use and invest wisely our talents of time, treasure, and uh, time, talents, and treasure. This is what R.J. Letourneau says. Now, he was a successful businessman, and he lived off 10% of his income, and he gave away the other 90%. This is, and um, Donald Whitney, sorry, says this. If you love Christ and the work of his kingdom more than anything else, your giving will show that. If you're truly submitted to the lordship of Christ, if you're willing to obey him completely in every area of your life, your giving will reveal it. There's the conversion of the mind, the heart, and the wallet. And sometimes the wallet is the last to be surrendered to God. Now in Matthew 19, Jesus is speaking to a rich young man who initially asked Jesus, what good deed must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him he must keep the commandments. Well, he, he claims to have um, obeyed them all, which is quite incredible. And he asks what else he must do. And Jesus answers in verse 21 of Matthew 19. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And we can see from this verse Again, it's some form of sacrificial act on this earth that results in giving to those who are in need is one way that Jesus identifies how to store up treasure for yourself in heaven. In Luke chapter 14, 13 and 14, Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, like that story I told last week, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And then it says this, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus talks about a repayment in eternity, a repayment in heaven, and Jesus is showing that giving to the poor and the needy is a way 
or how we store up treasure in heaven because you will be paid treasure in heaven. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the, of the just. Now, laying up for yourself treasure in heaven means to use all that you have for the glory of God. Remember the John Wesley quote from week one, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can, because all that we have is given us by God, and since we have been entrusted with these possessions, we are responsible to use them in ways that bring Him glory. But what does it mean? What does that really mean? How do I use all that I have for the glory of God? Well, very simply, I think it means to use all that I have to love God and to love others. But you cannot separate. You can't have one without the other. And that's why Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest command was, he gave two, not one, because they're interconnected. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, how do you use what you have for the glory of God? Well, you take your lamp from under the basket, you put it on a stand, and you let it shine, two key words here, before others. Before others is a key statement, because your life has to be lived not in isolation from others, but in connection to others. Christians don't live in isolation. We're not called to live in isolation. Salt is ineffective in isolation. Light is meant to be shine, shone in the darkness. Larry Osborne puts it this way, without contact, there can be no, anybody? Without contact, there can be no impact. It's as we let our light shine before others that they see your good works and they give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And guess what good works requires? What does good works require? Well, last week we saw that the Good Samaritan taught us that good works requires laying aside my own agenda. The Levite and the priest didn't lay aside their own agenda. They were consumed with their agenda. It requires going the extra mile, and it required being generous with time, talents, and treasure. And I think this is actually a beautiful picture of what it means to good news or good newsing, what we call evangelism. But I think this is a, a beautiful picture of good newsing or evangelism, okay? How do these good works cause the people to give glory to Father? Well, I think we're beginning a powerful insight into how people come to see God. How do people come to know the generosity of God? How do they come to know the goodness of God? How do they come to know the kindness of God when they see it through his hands? He has no hands but ours, no feet but ours, no mouth but ours, no compassion but that which we show. So how does the world see the compassion of Jesus through my hands? How do they see the kindness of Jesus 
through my kindness? How do they hear the words of Jesus through my lips? And that is why if the church is light, is hidden under a table, it is ineffective, it is dying, it becomes irrelevant because it's effective when it's taken out of the building and the church is on the streets where it's meant to be. It's in the marketplace where it's meant to be. It's in the workplace where it's meant to be. 24-7, living the life of Christ, shining the light, being the kindness, being the hands, being the feet, being the compassion, being the love of Jesus, being the eyes of Jesus everywhere we go and then we gather together for 90 minutes and then we get encouraged and built up to get back on the mission. We are a church that is meant to be on mission. Can I hear a big, loud, holy amen? Come on. Letting your light shine, laying aside your own agenda, going the extra mile, being rich in generosity with your time, your talents, and your treasure, that's how you good news. That's good newsing. That's what I would argue is evangelism. I would argue that is attractive. I would argue that God receives the glory and people come to know him. This is living out the gospel in front of ours. And this is our vision for Dunfermline, to saturate it with good news. And the good news is not just words. It's not just handing out a tract. It's not just saying if you die tonight, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? It includes our words and our message, of course. But that's not the full biblical New Testament uh, good newsing that Jesus revealed, modeled, and taught. Because good news is not just about words. It includes letting your light shine before others. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. Dorcas is a great example. Oh, no, Dorcas, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dorcas, yeah. Really familiar with Dorcas? Yeah, I can see it all over your face. He's Dorcas, yeah. Dorcas, 936 of Acts. In Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, she was full of good works and acts of charity. The Roman army officer Cornelius is another great example, as is David and Helen Life. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to, the, to God. Sounds like James, the book of James, which talks about true religion before Father in heaven to look after orphans and widows. True religion makes a difference. And that's when people say religion is the cause of all problems in the world. And I agree. And I agree and say, you know what it is. But that's false religion because this is what true religion does. True religion makes the world a better place. It doesn't cause division and arguments. And if that religion is, that religion, I would argue, is false religion. Because Jesus taught that true religion is making the world a better place. It's bringing justice to injustice. It's giving generously to the poor. It's invading society and making just laws and standing up for what is right and for what is good. And in fact, in Acts 10 verse 31, this is what it says of Cornelius. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Every time you're generous on behalf of the poor, the needy, the broken, has been noticed by God, is noticed by God, and it's stored up in a big bank book in heaven, and your treasure is building up in heaven. Why? 
Why was his gifts noticed to the poor? Because Jesus said, whatever you do to the least one of these, my children, you did it to me. That's a parable of the sheep and the goats that we'll look at. I was going to say next week, but sure, next week, I'm not finished generosity revolution yet, so I've got another message in me yet. (laughs) I've got another maybe one or two messages that I'm going to come back to because I'm not going to squeeze it in today, okay? But we need to get into the parable of the sheep and the goats. Because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And that's why Cornelius, his acts to the poor have been noticed by God. Because whatever someone does to your child when they're in need, when they're crying or hurting and needy, and you're separated and you physically can't help them, but someone else is the hands and the feet of love, what that person did to your baby, your child, and looked after them, it doesn't make you want to weep and cry and just give thanks for whatever. What you did to the least of one of these of my children, you did it to me because I'm so connected and passionately in love with my children. When you bless my children, you bless me. When you look after my children, you look after me. And that's why Cornelius's acts of charity were noticed. And it's the outworking of Isaiah 61. We're going to close with this last video clip. 18 seconds, 17 seconds, 16 seconds to go. Okay. Isaiah 61, Jesus quoted in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to good news, the poor. Better translated, the afflicted, the broken, or the hurting, the tokai. Better translated as the afflicted, the poor, the afflicted, the broken, the hurting. So we see that radical generosity is at the very heart of the gospel. And to saturate Dunfermline with good news requires an army of stewards that lay aside their own agenda like the Good Samaritan, that go the extra mile like the Good Samaritan, that are like this Good Samaritan, they are rich in generosity with their time, their talents, and their treasure to those they stumble upon who are in need. They let their shine, light shine before others. And so they bring and are good news to the people of our city. Good news is much bigger than are you going to heaven or hell if you die tonight. I'm not against that. It's a part of it. It's the message. But Jesus demonstrated that evangelism includes incarnation, demonstration, and proclamation. And we've reduced it to the proclamation. We've reduced it to preaching good news, to preaching words. But Jesus revealed, he modeled, and he taught a, a good newsing that is much more radical and much more sacrificial. Because in one sense, it's easy. It can be easy to open our lips. Sometimes it's easier to open our lips than to open our zips of our wallet. I just came to me there. (laughs) Sometimes it's easier to open your lips than your zips. Hey, guys. Now, those radically generous stewards are having great impact because they're in contact with the world. And that's why a generosity revolution is essential to impact a city. We see that in Acts chapter 2. That the people that were devoted, they were rich in generosity. And what was the result? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because that's an attractive culture. That's an attractive people. A hospitable people. Hospitality is one of the greatest acts of radical generosity. We're not going to be, we will not impact a city if we are unhospitable. If our homes are closed, if there's moats around our castles, if our front door is like a drawbridge with rusty chains. The 
only ever has nice, polite friends and family sitting at my table. And hey, I'm as convicted and as challenged about any of this. I am not brilliant at this. But I tell you what, I am challenged by the words of Jesus. But I'm also excited about the challenge of Jesus. And it's something I'm going to be praying about and saying, God, you know what? I want to become radically generous. I want to become radically hospitable. And I instead of walking past the beggar on the street, I sat down for 10 minutes and chatted with him as I was challenging myself. Sat down and, and chatted for 10 minutes because it's easier to give a coin than your time. And actually, I think sometimes they appreciate your time more than your coin. Let's finish on this last video clip and then we'll have the band back up. Okay, last video. The world's going to keep making you look at your past, your past, your past. And we've got to keep looking at the future. You look at your past, you're going to get depressed. And you're going to get stuck in your past. You look to your future and go, man, what is that moment going to be like? See, my actions, a lot of the things I do is because I'm thinking about my future. And I'm thinking about that moment when I see Jesus because I realize that everything I do is going to bring either reward or regret. It really is. I've got an extra thousand bucks. Okay, on that day, that future, when I see Jesus, what is going to bring reward and what's going to bring regret? I, I could buy a lot of fun things for myself with that thousand bucks, but on that day, Paul's saying, I'm just looking at that day, going on that day, maybe I just give it to the poor because on that day, I'll be rewarded for it versus, yeah, I mean, we've all bought things we regret, right? You go, oh, that was a waste of money, that's a waste of money, that's a waste of money. Think about what we're gonna say at the end when we stand before God. Are you gonna regret the car you drove, regret the house you lived in, regret the clothes you wore, regret, you know, just, just everything, what are you going to regret? What, how about your time and how you spent it? Are you going to, are you going to go, oh, I'm so glad I watched 7,000 movies? Or are you going to regret, wow, I wasted all of that time down? It's, it's, it's about the future. Paul's going, man, what am I going to look forward to at the end? I'm going to bring an illustration that this is like the first illustration I did. It was 20 years ago, but I can't think of a better way to, to explain it. Um, I actually didn't use a rope back then. I used a, remember, a, remember computer paper? when uh, it was all stuck together and it had the holes on the side that you had to peel off. Remember that? I remember getting a, a roll, and some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, which is crazy to me, but because uh, that was the best, you know? And, um, and it never worked right because of the rolling things. But, uh, but I, I, had, I remember being a youth pastor and I put uh, that computer paper all the way around the room. And, uh, but I'm gonna use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, Imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now, imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. 
And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, th- what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can, Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying down here. It's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's, it's this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line, and I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining. He goes, I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges, and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me because I'm going to pass that line well. Francis Chan. Okay, let's have the band back up. Let's have the band back up, please. Isn't that powerful? I mean, the teaching of Jesus is radical, isn't it? Not always comfortable, but that was the, the teaching of Jesus, wasn't it? And probably why the, the, the path that leads to eternal life is narrow and the other path is, is wide and maybe why many decided not to follow Jesus because his teaching is, is radical. I want to ask you to do uh, a few things. Number one, I want you to, uh, if you're in a lot of debt, Get a better vision and a plan for your life. On the Vine Church website, I've put five free plans for you to help you get out of debt, get your finances in order, and to get good budget. So if you're in debt and struggling, and there's too much month at the end of the money, you want to get on the Vine Church uh, website, go to What's Happening, Latest News, Generosity Revolution Courses. There's five free courses. Don't bury your head in the sand. Your finance, you're not going to get out of debt. I know this. I'm not great with my finance and I've got a long way to go and I'm uh, continuing to work on that as well. But I know that you have to make decisions, you have to make sacrifices, you have to make savings, you have to start repaying debt more than the minimum payments on your credit card. You'll never ever get out. You have to, we have to stop getting into debt, stop spending what we do not have. We have to get to that place where what we spend is less than what we receive. 
And then we need to get into a good budget. We need to gain all we can, save all we can, and give all we can. And what I would say is that I would encourage us to do two things. Number one, to put a plan in place for that in terms of budgeting, prayerfully and asking God, prayerfully, how much do you want me to give um, each month? And have a generosity budget. Now that includes your compassion children, your other things, uh, charities that you give to. And let me ask you to also consider seriously the Vine Church. If you're a regular attender here, if you're a Vine Church member, I want to ask you to pray and ask God, how much can you give by standing order and gift aid to the Vine Church monthly? I want you to ask God to look at your finances and to start where you can and review it annually and just say, God, okay, what would you like me to give? What would you like me to give? The, the, the church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus is passionate in, in, in love with his church, with all its flaws, with all its failures, with all its weaknesses. He still loves it passionately. And I therefore think I should love my local church. And if I love my local church, then where my treasure is there, my heart will be also. I need to invest my treasure monthly into the Vine Church. So if you're not giving by standing order, I want to ask you to do that this month. Start wherever you can. Prayerfully ask God, look at your finance, assess it. Don't bury your hands in the sand any longer. Let's get out of debt, get a better picture of a financial future for our lives. Let's be healthy, let's get generosity budgets, let's review it every year. The more we spend, the more we earn, Let's not just increase our standard of living, but increase our standard of giving. Come on. The flow in the day. That was a bit better than the zip one. Because <laughs> that didn't originate with me. Okay. Let's stand to our feet. Can we have the last slide on, please, Clara? So, yeah, just I'm going to leave those standing order forms here. Please, if you're not signed up for standing order, please take a form. Please take it. Please, uh, prayerfully fill it in in the next two to three weeks and start giving regularly generously and sacrificially that's what I believe the Bible get, teaches to give regularly generously, sacrificially and I'm going to close with this prayer, the, sorry the second last slide Clara, the one before that Elizabeth Elliot she wrote this in a lamp for my feet, she was a Christian author and speaker her first husband, Jim Elliott, was killed in 1956 while attempting to make missionary contact with the Oka of eastern Ecuador. She later spent two years as a missionary to the tribe of members who killed her husband. And I want to pray this over us, okay? I want to pray this over us just now. Let's close our eyes. Lord, break the chains that hold me to myself. Free me to be your happy slave that is to be the happy foot washer of anyone today who needs his feet washed his supper cooked his faults overlooked his work commended his failure forgiven his griefs consoled or his button sewed on let me not imagine that my love for you is very great if I am unwilling to do for a human being something very small Lord Jesus, thank you for your generosity and your radical love. We pray by your spirit you would transform us into the image of God who gave his one and only son, who gave salvation as a free gift. And may we become radically generous people, 
good news in this city and letting our light shine. If you don't know Jesus Christ and want to follow him today, God loves you. He sent his son to die on a cross. He invites you to come and to follow him, to make him your master and Lord. Just everybody together, repeat this short prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross. Please forgive me for going my own way. I need you and I want new life. And I ask you to give me new life today. In Jesus' name. Did anybody say that prayer for the first time? With every eye closed, just put your hand up nice and high. Anybody say that prayer for the first time today? If you did, there's gold bags at the back for adults and silver for the youth. Please take one and that will give you some further instructions. But the lost are not in here on Sunday mornings and that's why 24-7 we are on a good news mission to shine the light into the world.